your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacU Health with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEbroadcasting.com and sign up today. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gilb, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Great news, you can now watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube Movies and Shows. Subthreshold Micropulse Laser Treatment SMPLT is emerging as a new non-invasive and effective treatment in selected cases of retinal disease. Currently, micropulse retinal laser treatment has been underutilized by retinal surgeons. Micropulse lasers are considered safe, cheap, and when compared to classic laser photocoagulation, it leaves the retinal cells intact with no detectable damage to the RPE or photoreceptors. Today's guest, South Florida vitreo retinal surgeon, Dr. Wallen Mangel, lectures and teaches micropulse laser and has used it successfully to help thousands of his patients. Dr. Mangel, thank you for joining me today. Dr. Kelb, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's, uh, it's a really great honor to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you because you're doing something that a lot of the doctors aren't doing and that could help a lot of people. Tell us how you got interested in micropulse laser treatment. So, you know, the first time I used micropulse laser treatment, I was in my retinal fellowship in 2012. Um, I had done probably hundreds of lasers throughout my ophthalmology residency uh, in Philadelphia, but I didn't have access to micropulse laser. And at the time it was kind of an emergent technology. And when I started my fellowship in Baltimore was the first time that I used it uh, and I understood how it worked. And um, my mentor, who is a world-renowned retinal specialist, was really a, kind of a very uh, cutting-edge retinal surgeon. And you know, he, he was always on the forefront of new technologies. We had access to multiple different types of modalities in our fellowship program. Um, and so you know, we, we had yellow lasers, green lasers, red lasers, micropulse lasers, regular argon lasers. And so, you know, we really had a full armamentarium uh, of lasers to treat different kinds of retinal disorders. And so that's when I, that's when the first time it was that I used micropulse laser. Why do you think that more retina specialists aren't using it? 
Part of it has to do with the fact that a lot of retinal surgeons, especially in the last decade, have kind of moved away from laser treatment. You know, the, the, the injections have taken center stage. And of course, you know, anti-VEGF injections uh, are revolutionary. I mean, before the injections, treatments were really substandard. Uh, and a lot of times they would, you know, laser a CNV lesion in the eye, a bleeding in the eye, and they would stop the bleeding, but they would leave a massive scar. So when the injections came, the pendulum swung completely to the other direction. And when that happens, you know, from what I've noticed and from what my mentor had trained me in fellowship, he said, you'll see this in your career. When something new comes, everyone rushes the other way. And the things that have been working, they almost sometimes neglect. And so if you really want to be a good doctor and a good retinal specialist, you really want to keep, you know, um, all options open. You want to keep all options on the table. You want to tailor it to the patient. And so when these injections came, people kind of forgot about lasers, you know, but lasers still work. I mean, not everybody needs an injection. I mean, you know, I do injections as far as I can see on a daily basis, but I also use laser in my clinic. And there are patients who are perfect candidates for laser, who you don't have to put a needle in the eye to. You don't have to commit them to monthly injections. Um, especially in diabetic patients. Who gets diabetes? Younger patients, patients 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. These are patients who are working. They have things to do. They have families, they have children, they have jobs. And really to commit every single one of these patients to an injection on a monthly basis is really asking for a lot. And you, know, you wonder why some of these patients don't show up to their appointments. They'll get one or two injections and then they say, you know what, I'm just too busy. I can't keep coming to these monthly appointments. That's a perfect situation where a patient can benefit from a laser treatment. You can see them back three months, four months, six months later, reassess and reapply if needed. So it works for the patient. It works for your clinic. And it probably saves the healthcare system money because you're not doing $2,000 you know, injections every month on a patient. So you know, I like to incorporate it in my clinic, but I understand why so many doctors have kind of moved away because they're all, they've all ran towards the injection uh, treatment, and they've kind of neglected this uh, this tool. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, asking a patient to come back every month or every six weeks or even every two months for an ejection is really asking a lot of a patient, and it's understandable why people might may drop out. Uh, so let's go through the different lasers. I think many people are confused about the different lasers from the red laser, the 695, to, to xenon, to argon to Micropulse, uh, even YAG. Tell us about the different lasers and, and how they're different and what they're used for in a different way. Right. So the two common lasers that we use in present day are really red lasers and, uh, sorry, green lasers and, and, and yellow lasers. And these are the most common ones that are used today. And both you can use both of them to treat different kinds of retinal disorders, such as diabetic macular edema, you know, tears in the, in the, in the retina, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, those are the two conventional ones. And then you have this category of micropulse lasers. Now, certain, certain companies make laser units where you can, you can do it in a continuous wave or the standard way of doing the laser, or you can switch the button and switch the laser into a micropulse laser. And there's really a key difference between the conventional laser and the micropulse laser. When, you, when you're using a continuous laser or the standard laser, all the same name. When you fire the shot, the laser 
delivers that power continuously during that, during that time period. And what that does is it leaves a little scar in the back of the eye. And sometimes you want that scar in the back of the eye, especially if it's in the periphery of the retina. For example, when you're treating a retinal tear, you want that, that, that the area around the tear, around the hole to form a, a, a scar, to kind of cement the retina in place to prevent the retinal detachment. But when you're treating problems in the macula, you don't necessarily want a scar. So this is where Micropulse really fits in. The way the Micropulse laser works is it chops up the laser. So instead of that one, that same power being delivered the entire time, it chops up the laser into tiny little bits. So it never heats up the retina and therefore it never leaves a scar in the back of the eye. And that's the beauty of the Micropulse. It does not leave a scar, not to mention you don't feel it. So you know, using conventional lasers sometimes when you're treating the patient, they really feel that. I mean, it can be really painful for them. With a Micropulse laser, you don't feel a thing. It, it, it kind of, if you really put it in layman's terms, it tickles the retina enough to, to, to activate the cells in the retina and the bottom layer of this retina to kind of suck out the fluid and which reduces then the swelling in the back of the eye. So that's the difference between the two types of lasers. Now, the, the multi-laser platforms that Luminous, Zeiss, uh, NIDEC make, you know, they'll make it with many different, they'll have green and yellow, and you'll be able to switch back and forth. Do they also have a multi-pulse on that? Can you use multi-pulse with those, uh, those multi-laser uh, platforms? You can. There's multiple different companies that offer that technology. Now, the word micro-pulse really, you know, Iridex was the first one that really came up with it. So they've trademarked it. So the, the other companies, they use a variation of the word micropulse. Some of them will call nanopulse or so on and so forth, but it's really the same technology. It's, it's taking a laser that's continuous wave and chopping it up into small little bits and then delivering that to the back of the eye. Uh, and you know, the, the efficacy between uh, whether you're using a green laser or a yellow laser, it's not really a big difference. You know, it, we've tried both of them. I've used both of them in, in my fellowship program. There's really no efficacy difference between one or the other. Either one works. Uh, whichever one that you have access to, you know, I, I think is a, is, a, is a great thing to have in the clinic. So what? So a retinal surgeon that is using these multi-platform lasers, whether it's from Zeiss, Iridex, Nidec, it'll have micropulse on it. They'll be able to do micropulse? Yes. Some of those units are multimodal, in which case you can switch between continuous wave, also known as standard laser, or you can switch it to the micropulse uh, mode. So explain how lasers work in the retina and how uh, you're using a laser. It, whether you need that scar, is it important? If you're using a re regular laser photocoagulation, do you need the scar for it to work? Is, it, is something being released to prevent uh, neovascularization? You know, wonderful question. Million dollar question, really, if you think about it. I want to start the answer with a quick story. So 2012, I had just started my retinal fellowship. And four years before that, I had done a, a very busy, uh, you know, intensive ophthalmology residency program in Philadelphia. And so I had hundreds of lasers under my belt coming out of residency. And in my residency, I knew I wanted to be a retinal specialist. I spent a lot of time with the retinal surgeon on the retina service. Even when I was doing a glaucoma rotation, I would finish clinic by 4, 4.30, and I would, instead of going home, I would go over to the retina side 
and stay there till 6, 7, 8, 9 p.m. and then go to the OR, sometimes stay there till midnight, just because I knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I had a lot of experience in retina, or so I thought. And so in 2012, when I started my fellowship program in Baltimore, my first week of retina fellowship, we had a diabetic patient who needed laser to the back of the eye. I did the laser. And at the end of the day, we would go through the different charts and kind of talk about them as a group. We'd set my mentor and all the fellows, and we would go one by one, and he would ask us questions. And so, you know, I did a standard laser, pan-retinal PRP laser to the retina for a diabetic. Nothing fancy. I had done it hundreds of times. And he said, Waleed, tell me what you did. I said, well, the patient had proliferative diabetic retinopathy, bleeding in the eyes, leakage vessels. I did pan-retinal laser to the back of the eye. He said, okay, good. Can you tell me how laser works? And, you know, I, I just, I hit a blank. I spent four years in my residency seeing probably a few thousand patients doing hundreds of lasers. And I didn't quite understand how that laser worked. No one ever told me. And I couldn't figure out why I didn't learn it in residency. The answer is because no one really knew exactly how laser works, you know, and this has been a really a, a kind of a, a, um, a topic of great discussion in the retina field. And it's one in which there's been a, a, a kind of a paradigm shift over the last few years. In the, in the early days, in the 1940s and 1950s, there was some hypotheses floating around. They thought that, you know, delivering laser to the back of the eye increased oxygenation to the retina. Then there was another theory, maybe delivering laser to the back of the eye, you know, destroyed these, what they used to call in, in the 50s, factor X producing cells. Now we know those as VEGF producing cells. So there was this hypothesis floating around. And then a few decades went by, there was, a, there was work done at Harvard by two really well-known retinal specialists, and they found that the eyes that had scars in the back of the eye due to whatever, scars due to whatever reason, they tended not to get as bad diabetes in that eye versus the other eye that did not have scars. And so they thought of an experiment. Why don't we do laser to the back of the eye and cause scars and see if that reduces the chance of diabetic retinopathy? Sure enough, it did. Then they used a different laser that left minimal scars. Same outcome, minimal scars, diabetic retinopathy went away. And then massive scars, same thing, moderate scars, same thing. And so the question became, do you really need a scar in the back of the eye to cause regression of diabetic retinopathy, reduction in swelling, et cetera? And the answer is probably not. And we've really come to understand that really in the last few years, maybe in the last five to 10 years. And this has been something that, you know, we've been trying to understand for decades. So this is where the micropulse laser really fits in. So now we know you don't really need to form a scar on the back of the eye. And most likely what's happening, and this is new information, is that lasers, it's not the scar that's causing the regression. It's really the, the act of delivering laser to the back of the eye causes release of inhibitory cytokines basically chemicals that are suppressing the progression of diabetes in the back of the eye. And so it's the release of those chemicals. It's a biochemical process and not really one where you're just torching the back of the eye with a laser. It's really a, a biochemical process that's causing, um, you know, regression of diabetes and control of diabetes in the back of the eyes. I think one of the most amazing things about Micropulse is it increases heat shock proteins and heat shock proteins is used as a protective uh, mechanism because it protects the cells 
it 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 increases uh, it increases pro new proteins. It uh, it increases nitric oxide. It limits apoptosis. Uh, so and it decreases toxins. So if you could talk about how heat shock proteins are used in the retina and being used and being released from the micropulse laser. Yeah. So what what happens is th again this is all when I say new I mean in the last few years. So they've discovered, because the question became, well, well, if micropulse works through release of inhibitory cytokines, what if we take cross-sections uh, of, of an eye, of an animal eye, that's been treated with micropulse laser, and let's see the um, histologic changes that are happening in the eye, and also let's check to see what other chemicals are being released. And this is when they discovered the upregulation of the heat shock protein when they started to look at histological. So although at the naked eye, you know, in the clinic, when I'm, when I'm doing micropulse laser, I'm not seeing any blanching of the retina. I'm not seeing any scar formation. If, if I do that laser and you go look at that eye a day later, a week later, you would never know that I had done any kind of laser to that eye. So it leaves no marks. So then you're wondering, well, well maybe the changes are microscopic. And now they're discovered that yes, micropulse does cause microscopic histological changes and also a biochemical reaction that's releasing heat shock protein, which does all the things that you mentioned in the back of the eye. MacuHealth, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. I know from heat shock proteins because I have an infrared sauna and I use my infrared sauna to, as protection to release heat shock proteins throughout my body to as kind of a uh, anti-aging type of type of situation. Outstanding, outstanding. So I've been doing that for, you know, for quite a while. So, yeah. but when you mentioned the, the micropulse laser, if you look at it with fundus autofluorescence or OCT or regular imaging, we don't see any marks at all. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. It leaves no marks uh, at all. And if, you know, like I said, if, if, if I did the laser and you saw the patient a week later, you wouldn't know that I had done micropulse laser to the back of the eye. This is amazing. This is amazing technology that we could be using on our patients on a regular basis. So explain the technique. Are you, is there any separation between the laser marks or is it pretty much like zero separation and how much energy is being used? So, you know, with, with conventional I'll just compare it to your standard conventional focal. So when we're doing conventional focal, you know, you, you get a fluorescein angiogram, you see the areas where the, where the little microaneurysms are, you see which ones are leaking and causing the image, and then you just treat those specific microaneurysms. Staying away from the fovea. I mean, it was, it was drilled into our heads as residents. When you're doing this laser, avoid the fovea, stay away from it. You don't want to leave any scotomas. You know, you can't reverse it. It, it will be a disaster if you if you fire a continuous wave laser right into the fovea. On the other side with micropulse, it's the exact opposite. Not only do you just do a few spots, you carpet bomb the entire fovea and all the entire macula. So you literally laser right on top of the fovea. You go start from the top and just go round and round and back and back all the way up and then go back around. And the power that we use for conventional focal, 80 milliwatts, 60, 100 milliwatts of power. On the micropulse, I'm using 400 milliwatts of power. However, it's on a micropulse mode on a 5% duty cycle. 
that means that laser is only firing 5% of the time of a continuous wave laser. And if you do the math, that power is significantly less than 80 milliwatts or 100 milliwatts that you would use in a conventional laser, which explains why it doesn't leave any scars. But the but micropulse laser will not work if you just do a few spots. We know now that you need at least 400 total spots of micropulse laser in order to start to see efficacy. And so in the early days of micropulse, some doctors tried it. They fired 50 shots, 100. What they thought was a lot. Wow, 100 shots of focal. I've never done that before. They would shoot 100, 150. They said, this thing didn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is we need adequate enough laser. It was inadequate treatment. And so if you fire at least 400 shots, carpet bombing the entire macula going all the way through the fovea, that's when you start to see response. And how long does it take to, sh to fire 400 shots? A minute and a half to two minutes. You so know, it depends, on the, depends on the interval of the, of the shots. I, I tend to shorten the interval so that it's a rapid fire kind of a situation with the laser when I'm doing micropulse. And does the patient feel anything at all? Zero pain. And in fact, that's what I tell the patient. I'm going to do a laser for the back of the eye. This is a very gentle laser and that there's zero pain at all. And is it ever used in combination with anti-VEGF treatment or is it typically standalone? Most, most of the time you use it as standalone, but there is some data that, you know, when, when you're treating patients with anti-VEGF, either in a diabetic patient or maybe in a patient with wet macular degeneration, where the anti-VEGF is not enough, you're, you're treating the patient every four weeks and they have kind of persistent subretinal fluid, persistent edema, then what do you do? And in those cases, they've incorporated a micropulse laser and they see that there is an, an improvement in efficacy of the anti-VEGF agent. And the hypothesis is that the micropulse causes kind of a, a reactivation of the receptors within the retina, which then makes the injections work better. Let's turn our attention to something that is very effective with micropulse laser. It's central serous retinopathy. Can you explain central serous and, uh, and then after you explain the, the disease, then let's go into uh, how micropulse could be used for it. Sure. So central serous retinopathy, it's, it's really a disorder of the retina that affects younger patients. So patients between 30 and maybe 55 years old. And what happens is some patients where they're exposed to steroids, whether they're taking the steroids by mouth, inhalational, topical steroids, you know, creams for itching, itchy skin, cortisone injection into joints. This is a big one. A lot of patients, you know, get injections into joints of cortisone, which is a steroid. Or if they're under stress and their body is releasing a lot of cortisol, which chemically is very similar to a steroid, some of those patients can then develop fluid under the retina. And when you get fluid, the vision becomes blurry in that eye. Um, you know, the image looks smaller, uh, color perception can be off, the vision is blurry. And the good news is, is what, you know, more than half the cases of central serous retinopathy does not require any treatment. You know, if I see a patient refer to me for possible CSR, uh, the first thing I do is just kind of, leave, you know, leave it alone. I'll give it another month, month and a half. And a lot of times the fluid is start to come down on its own. But there's a, some exceptions. What happens if the fluid is not going away? What happens if the fluid is taking a long time to resolve? What happens if the patient is a very high functioning person 
and they really need pristine vision to do what they need to do. For example, you know, accountants, other surgeons, uh, you know, pilots, um, many, many other industries where the patient needs really good binocular vision. And in those cases, you really can't let them suffer for another month and a half and two months. And in those cases, Micropulse laser is the perfect option to use. Now, do you feel that central serous is really a pathology of the choroid? You know, I think so. Uh, th th there is some um, data that, you know, the, the first, and it's still not 100% understood, but they, they really think that for in some of these patients, there's a core, they used to think it was a retinal issue, but now they're realizing it's an RPE and choroid issues. And now they were able to get imaging underneath the retina, go deeper into the choroid. They're realizing the choroidal vessels are actually dilated in patients with central serous retinopathy. So there's, there's something going on there that causes the, 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 the RPE layer of the retina, which is, I think of it as like the, the sump pump of the retina uh, to malfunction. And it's not able to pump fluid out and the retina starts to accumulate fluid underneath. But it's probably a choroidal issue that's causing the problem. Typically, it's that the retina specialists wait three to four months before they would treat it with uh, standard laser photocoagulation using, uh, first they would use fluorescein angiography to see where the leakage is of its three hundred to 400 microns away from the macular, they would use standard laser photocoagulation. But if it's in the center of the retina, that's when the problems exist. But I want to mention to you that I personally feel that people with central serous should be treated really immediately. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why they should be treated or within six weeks is because I've had three patients in my career who've had central serous, who it became longstanding. And then the, the, uh, the PAI, the PI, the pill line, the photo and uh, receptor integrity line, or the, the cones were damaged. And then the patient lost best vision. We, the, the patient waited, you know, myself together with the retina specialist was decided to let the patient wait damage was done and there was nothing that could be done for those three people that I've seen over my career. career. And then when I heard you speak on micropulse laser, I said, you know something, because you know we're getting close to 60 to 80% of the people that get micropulse get resolution of the, the edema uh, fr from micropulse laser that why, and because it doesn't cause any damage, why can't it be started earlier? Because if somebody is unlucky enough to be one of those people where they get damaged to the photoreceptor integrity line or damage to the cones, uh, they don't get their vision back. And I've seen it happen three times right. already. And I want to, I would like for you to comment on that. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of think of it as, well, this is something that resolve on its own. But at the same time, I would not recommend waiting three or four months. I certainly don't. I mean, I, I see them back four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. And if I see fluid still there, I treat on that visit, on that second visit. That's kind of my go-to. I don't like to wait long. And it's for the exact reasons that you mentioned. You know, the longer you let that fluid linger, whether it's central serous, whether it's diabetes, whether it's macular degeneration, those photoreceptors get really beat up. And if you somehow later on get resolution of that fluid, that vision is never the same. And, you know, a lot of times the doctor will say, oh, you look great. And the patient's like, well, how come I don't see great? 
you know, uh, the OCT will look great, but you know, the, we're really not, we're not treating the picture, we're treating the patient. So right. I agree with you that it's, it's better to be, especially if you have a treatment option that has minimal really to no side effects, why not treat early? Why wait and let things get worse? And then you're kind of behind the ball. And then if you really get the fluid down at that point, the vision is, is never going to be the same. How often do you see central serious in both eyes? I know it's reported. I personally right. have never seen it in both eyes. Yeah, I have a few patients, probably 95% of patients are unilateral. 5% or less, I have a few that are bilateral. And the bilateral ones are the chronic uh, patients. They've had chronic CSR, seen multiple retinal specialists. I've had multiple different kinds of treatments. You know, everything from, uh, you know, continuous wave laser to PDT to even pills. I mean, there's a class of uh, hypertensive drugs, you know, uh, spironolactone, a, a bunch of other ones in that category that has been shown some, some response to in, in uh, CSR patients. And when nothing works, then what do you do? So those are the patients that I see. And then I offer the micropulse laser treatment for them. You mentioned photodynamic therapy, and that is used sometimes for central serous. Mm -hmm. uh, can you explain what that is and, and why micropulse would be better than that at this point? Yeah, you know, PDT has really kind of fallen by the wayside. There's very, very few retinal surgeons that, that use it. I don't use it in my, in my clinic. You know, my kind of algorithm for treating CSR is, you know, wait a month or, or six weeks, if not better, treat with micropulse. And if it's improving but not gone, just retreat over time until that fluid is completely gone. Now, there are some cases of CSR where you get not just the subretinal fluid, but you actually get a CNV, a choroidal neovascular membrane component to it. You cannot get rid of that membrane with just laser or micropulse laser. That's a, that's a situation where you may need to do combination treatment, an anti-VIGF injection and micropulse together in different time points, but kind of combination treatment in that way. And PDT basically, you know, involves, they kind of sometimes call it a cold laser. It works in some cases, but then it doesn't work in other cases. And there's restrictions on the patient on, on you know, uh, you know, how, how often they can be in sunlight. And again, most people don't even have the, the equipment for PDT because it's really kind of fallen by the wayside. I certainly don't prefer it. It's not my go-to treatment of choice. I never use it. Uh, talk about fluorescein angiography. Mm -hmm. How can fluorescein, angi uh, fluorescein angiography help uh, with uh, central serous? Yeah, uh, you know, excellent question. I, I want to kind of talk about fluorescein angiography a little bit. So just like the injections came out and, you know, everybody kind of rushed to the anti-VIGF camp and almost neglected all the other treatments that are available for retinal specialists, the same thing has happened with fluorescein. Fluorescein was the imaging modality for decades. And then OCTs came about. And so now that OCTs came about, you know, OCT is the standard of care. I, I, it's the most, it's, it's the minimum imaging modality that you need in a retinal clinic. But OCT, again, has almost become the only imaging modality for some retinal specialists. And as good as an OCT is in finding different intricacies of, of retinal disorder, you can't catch everything on an OCT. You really need a fluorescein angiography in many, many different retinal conditions. And I've seen diagnoses go completely missed because no one ever got a fluorescein angiogram on the patient. Or you know, a diabetic 
you know, exam that looked kind of benign. Okay, maybe a little bit of microaneurysms here, a few dots here, doesn't look that bad. I guess it's fine. And maybe it's mild, you know, non-proliferative diabetic monopathy. And you get a flourishing angiography and you see widespread ischemia in the retina. Patient is a type one diabetic of 30 plus years. And there's ischemia everywhere. And there's neovascularization in the periphery that was totally undiagnosed. So fluorescein angiography is a fantastic tool in a retinal clinic. And I really wish more retinal specialists did more fluorescein angiography. I understand it causes inefficiencies in the clinic and slows things down a little bit and you have to inject something, it's invasive, but I really wish they performed more of it. I feel like a lot of retinal specialists have kind of moved away from it almost to a fault in some cases. So an FA, as it comes, as it relates to CSR, you know, in CSR, you have a leak, leaky spot, at least one or maybe more than one, you know, underneath the retina. You really cannot see that leaky spot or what we call a hot spot unless you do a fluorescein angiogram. And when you do, you'll see a, ni a nice little spot uh, on the FA exactly where that leaky spot is in the retina that's causing the problem. And that's important because if you decide to treat, let's just say you don't have micropulse uh, modality available. You know, at that point, you can use a continuous wave laser to treat that, that hot spot to make the fluid go down. And if you have micropulse, you don't even have to worry about the continuous wave. You can just use micropulse to treat the area where the leakage is. Now, continuous wave, is that going to make, uh, is that going to cause scars? It does in, in most cases. You know, you really want to minimize it by using a very low power um, and preferably, it's hopefully not anywhere near the fovea, but um, it, it does, yes. So you have to be 300 to 400 microns away when you're going to use that type of technology. Preferably, yes. So how do we avoid where we get improvement in losing the edema from micropulse laser, but we also want to have improved vision as well, not just improved uh, fluid being left, but also improved vision. You mean, how do you accomplish both? Yes, to improve vision, uh, best visual acuity, right. and, uh, and after treatment, as well as losing the edema. Yeah, so a couple of things. Point number one is, and I've learned this in my fellowship program really uh, heavily, is that the OCT doesn't always correlate with vision. You know, you may get a patient where the OCT looks incredible. The fluid is gone. Patient's unhappy. The vision is not ideal. They're not happy at all. And you're kind of confused about, well, the OCT looks good. Why are you not happy? And vice versa. You'll have cases where the OCT looks horrible. And you look at the vision and it's 2030 or 2025. And you ask the patient, how's the vision? I said, I'm fine. So it doesn't always correlate. Now, the nuance of that is intraretinal edema or swelling tends to correlate with worse vision. Subretinal fluid tends to correlate with not as bad vision. So the goal is really to accomplish both. And part of that is what you mentioned earlier, start the treatments early. Don't wait until that photoreceptor layer is all beat up. And then at some point you're like, oh man, I think I'm going to treat this. I think I'm going to do something about it. You want to be, you want to have the right level of aggressiveness, not too aggressive, but also not too complacent as a retinal specialist. So treat early, especially if you have a modality like micropulse with minimal to no side effects. And second part of it is, you know, assess the patient. Sometimes not everything needs treatment. You'll see a little bit of a cystic swelling on the macula on the OCT. And you ask the patient, you know, how are you doing? They say, 
I'm fine. So is it really worth putting a needle in that patient's eye, putting a chemical in their eye, risking getting anophthalmitis, committing them to monthly injections if the patient feels that they're fine? Probably not. Now, of course, there are cases where you, know, you, you can have, for example, I'm, I'm using an extreme example. You have a patient with a retinal detachment. They haven't noticed symptoms yet, but you know it's an acute retinal detachment. It's superior. You know it's only a matter of time until that patient starts to lose vision. In that case, in those rare cases where the patient doesn't realize it, but they have a retinal detachment that's, that's advancing, you need to talk to them and say, listen, you need surgery. Um, I know you feel like you're fine, but if you wait any longer, you're going to lose your vision. So those are extreme kind of examples where the patient feels like they're fine, but yet you still need to intervene. Um, but by and large, you know, with the exception of those extreme examples, the goal is treat early, have a good conversation with the patient, understand where they are. And if they're symptomatic and you see the problem on the imaging, that's when you want to treat and treat early. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point. You got to treat early because you don't want those patients to wind up with poor vision and you're releasing those great heat shock proteins that are so beneficial. To the, to the retina. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEBroadcasting.com and sign up today. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one. Lifespan was supposed to be increasing. We were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have gone the opposite way. Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them. We are certainly headed for disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting. And the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best kept secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor. So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the only place in the body that you could actually see the blood vessels. Completely non-invasively, you could screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health. Because this disease is here, it's also going to be here. And I can look into the back of my eyeball, and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it. The eye is the canary of the mind. The eye is the kingdom. Will everyone 
please open their eyes. Since I bought Safe for You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe for You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe for You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe for You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe for You is because it's safe for me and you.